0: Good morning. We continue our I Believe series by our focus on Jesus this morning and the exclusivity of Jesus and the gospel as the only way to salvation. I want you to look at that picture this morning on the screen. It's a picture of a Black Lives Matter protest, and I want you to see two people in that picture. One of the people is concerned about Their ethnic group, African Americans, who have been subjugated and victimized and uh, made to be inferior to other races, and that person is concerned about equality. They, They have respect for all ethnic groups, and they simply want their ethnic group to be on an even, on a par level with other ethnic groups. That's what they want. Their, their interest is equality. Then there's another person in that picture. They also have observed that their African-American ethnic group has been victimized and subjugated and trampled on and hurt. They are more of an extreme kind of person and take an extreme stance. They aren't interested in equality. They want to be superior. They want to respond to extremism with extremism, and they want their ethnic group and their race to be above all other groups. They want to be above the rule of law. They want to have special privileges and and rights that other groups don't have. Their interest is not equality but exclusivity. And now there's a third person in that picture, and, and they're not in the picture, but they're looking at the picture, and that's you. And what's in your heart and your mind as you observe the Black Lives Matter movement? And what do you, what do you think of the people in it? And are they all the same? Exclusivity Can be difficult and dangerous, and it's our very topic today, and a spiritual one, and a true one when it comes to the scriptures. I want to read to you now our account from John chapter fourteen. That's the basis for the sermon today. This is Jesus in the upper room on uh, on Thursday night when he instituted the sacrament, and then he's uh, spending some time with the disciples, and he's explaining to them that he's going to die and rise and and uh, ascend into heaven and return. And uh, hear his words this is on page eight in your worship folder, John chapter fourteen. After Jesus explained all this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you will you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is very clear in those verses about the exclusivity of Jesus and the gospel is the only way. And so the difficulty when it comes to exclusivity is not in understanding it. It's a very clear teaching of Scripture. The difficulty is in practicing it. Understanding it is, is easy. For Bible-believing Christians who let Jesus be who he says he is, We can look in the Old Testament and see that from ancient times, God claimed exclusivity when he said, like he says here in Isaiah, I am God and there is no other. And then Jesus, in John chapter 3, verse 36, says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That's pretty clear to me. Right, All other gods who claim to be God are really counterfeit gods, like counterfeit money. People are attracted to them, and people use them, and they look real, and they feel real, and they sound real, but they ain't real. They don't have any value. Any religions who rely on anything other than Jesus to get right with God, or who redefine Jesus to be less Than who he says he is, do not have Jesus, and therefore, according to Jesus' own words, do not have God and the life that God wants to give. That's very clear. Those are unarguable statements in the scriptures from God himself, from Jesus himself, from the authors of scripture. Exclusivity of Jesus and the gospel as the only way to salvation is not difficult to understand, but it's difficult to practice. I might even say it's dangerous. Here are a couple ways. Exclusivity can, can make people who are on the right side of exclusivity, right, who are, the, who are the right ones, it can make that group of people feel superior to others, look down on them, belittle them, minimize them, and dismiss them as if they don't matter. Let me give you an example. You're playing a board game with your family, you're on vacation, it's Monopoly, it's a three-hour battle, and you win, and you jump up from the table and you flip the board over and you say, yes, I'm the champion, and as the winner, it's in our hearts then, there's this pride that erupts, and we tend to look at everyone else as a bunch of losers, are being first-class citizens of our great country with first-class air conditioning in our homes and first-class bedrooms that we sleep in with first-class sheets made of Egyptian cotton. We, we can look at people of other classes like homeless people and one of the thoughts that erupts very easily in our hearts is, "Ha! I wonder how you screwed up to get where you are. You obviously don't have it put together like I do. And if you just go out and get a job, everything will be okay. It's easy to stereotype those who are, for instance, of a different class than we are, and and, uh, maybe some of you are here today, receiving government benefits like welfare. I see it. I feel it. I want to look at those people and say, you're a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothing freeloaders. See how it's difficult? Exclusivity. So I want to give you some questions to ask yourself about exclusivity and and how difficult and dangerous it can be for Christians. We're saved. We have Jesus. And yet for us to practice this is hard. Have you ever been so concerned about your belief, what you know to be true, that when someone else has criticized or questioned you, you have reacted to them disrespectfully and unlovingly. See, that's dangerous exclusivity. That's, that hurts. That doesn't help. Do you find yourself stereotyping people of other religions, even other Christian churches, and they are less worthy of God's grace than you are. Do you become comfortable hanging out with all your church friends and chatting it up on Sunday morning over coffee in the fellowship hall in the lobby on the parking lot, and we have these holy huddles, and we're so comfortable with each other, we love each other, that we tend to forget about and neglect the unchurched and the unbeliever's and we actually justify ourselves dismissing them because they're, well, they're excluded. Exclusivity says you're not part of this group, and we're too easily comfortable with that. That's how exclusivity is hard and difficult for us. It's also difficult another way. It's very easy to point the finger at another church or religion or person who doesn't have Jesus and say, you don't have Jesus, therefore you don't have God, you don't have heaven and eternal life, that's it. And see, we, we tend to like exclusivity when it comes to others, but not so much when it comes to us. And here's what I mean by that. I like it that Jesus is the only way and truth in life for everyone else, but when he wants to be my way and my truth and my life, uh, I kinda like the way that Darren does things. I like Darren's way. And I tend to be enamored of my own opinion. I I I like Darren's truth. And, you know, I want to make my life something that's comfortable for me, something that I like. And, and then this Jesus comes along and he wants to change that all up. See, I struggle letting Jesus exclusively be my way and my truth and my life. And then when, when my way is so big and so important it doesn't allow other people to see Jesus as the way. I and mean, in my opinion matters so much, and I'll do anything to defend it and to make it known. It's hard for other people to see Jesus as the truth. I and mean, my life looks the same as any pagan person's life who doesn't have Jesus. Well, it's hard for other people to see Jesus as the life. Yeah, I want, I want Jesus and my way. I love Jesus, and I'll believe in him and my truth. And I'll make it all about Jesus and my life. See, when we preach the exclusivity of Jesus, we have to be able to apply that to ourselves. Jesus is not willing to be one of many Saviors, whether that's to a Buddhist or to, or to a Lutheran preacher or to you. Jesus is not willing to be an and in your life and in your faith and in your present and future and eternity. He won't. Not for me, not for you, not for anyone. So, those are the struggles of an exclusivity. And uh, what we find is that if we're, if we're looking at these words in John 14, we're finding that we can be just like Thomas. And we can struggle like Thomas, who asked the question, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now, keep in mind, Thomas had previously committed himself with this deep loyalty and love to Jesus. Back in John chapter 11, Thomas said to Jesus, I'll go to Jerusalem and I'll die with you. He was that willing. And now here Thomas is saying, what's that way again? I, I don't know if I'm real clear on that anymore. This is not a lack of information that Thomas doesn't have. Jesus just explained everything that would be happening and Thomas and the disciples even knew it before. The reason this became unclear to Thomas isn't from a lack of teaching or instruction or information. It's not a lack of knowing. It's a lack of wanting to know. A lack of believing. Of letting Jesus be his everything. Of letting Jesus define for him Everything, including the next few hours and days and future, of giving Jesus everything and trusting Jesus with everything? Do you feel Thomas' struggle? Some of you have stood up here uh, for confirmation and vowed that you would do anything, even die, rather than deny Jesus. And yet, we do with our lips and our lives every day. We struggle with this, just like Thomas. Here's the the beauty in this this interaction between Thomas and Jesus. Thomas feels like he can come to Jesus with this. And he does. Lord, I'm struggling. I want to know the way, but I'm becoming confused on the way. Anytime... You do not let Jesus be your everything and define everything, and you don't trust Him with everything. You're going to be more confused. So, when you're confused about faith and life and Jesus, take a good look at whether or not He's really your way and your truth and your life. And then let's come to Him like Thomas did, and let's do that right now. I want you. To re- I want you to say these words. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, I am sorry. Jesus I, am so sure about my way Jesus, I am so sure about my way that I have lost your way. I lost your way. Jesus, I am scared. Jesus I am, scared. Jesus, I am Jesus, I am struggling. And you're there and you're vulnerable and you're at Jesus' feet. And he says to you, I am the way and the truth and the life. Those powerful words, I am, he uses them often in the Gospel of John, seven, eight, nine times. I am the resurrection and life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. I am, Jesus says. He wants those words to reflect to you the very name of God in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And that means I am. It means to be the self-existing one. Jesus is claiming that he is the only true God. And that's more of a claim. That's not just a claim. It's also a promise to you. Jesus, as the self-existing one, he is not owned or operated by anyone or anything outside of God, including your bad ideas, including your big problems, including your sins. He's not controlled by a political candidate. He's not controlled by by the economy. He's not controlled by death or by disability. He's the self-existing one. He's free to be who he wants and to choose who he wants. And who is he and whom does he choose? He looks at you and Thomas and he says, I am your way. He doesn't turn and leave. He, he, he grabs your hand and lifts you up and says, I want you to meet someone. I want you to meet my father. And Jesus brings you to the father. He's so eager to bring you to his father like a little daughter, grabs your daddy's hand and says, I got to show you He's, he's just eager and he's so glad that you follow him and that you give him your hand and that you trust him and that you come along and, and as you do and you follow Jesus who is the way, you're less enamored with your little ways and you're more in tune with his big ways. This This is not some pilgrimage for you to take when Jesus says, I am the way. He does say, come and follow me. But there's going to be times where walking for you and journeying for you and following behind Jesus is hard. And at those times, because he is the way and doesn't just prescribe the way, he is the way, he will pick you up and he will carry you. When you are weak, when you are overwhelmed, when you are lazy, when you're bad. He is always your way. And your truth. Jesus comes to you. He doesn't withdraw from you. He doesn't listen to all of your own opinions and realize how off base they are from what he wants and say, I'm done with that. I'm going to go listen to someone else. But he comes near to you and he communicates to you. He's a communicating God. And he tells you what he thinks about you and what he wants from you. And He is your truth. This is no crossword puzzle where He says you need to fill in these blanks, and if you can't, well, <laughs> sorry, too bad, so sad. All right, he, he doesn't tell you to figure it out. He says, "I am your truth." Jesus is saying that no matter what problem you're experiencing in this world. No matter how confused you might be, any situation you are facing, make it a spiritual issue. Bring Jesus into it. And when you do, he will give you every answer you need because he is your truth. And Jesus says, I am your life. He watches us arrange our lives and put our priorities in place. And sometimes he's number one and sometimes he's number two and sometimes he's number seven. And he fills in the gaps and we fill in the gaps. And, and he says, I, I only will be number one for you. But instead of waiting for us to always keep him on top, number one, Jesus comes to us. He comes to you and he gives you first class, first rate, first rate, treatment and response by dying and rising for you even before you can keep him on top all the time he treats you as number one and in his dying and rising jesus awakens in us this new life of our own dying too that's the Christian life. It's, it's just like Jesus. It's living and dying and rising. The Christian life is living and dying and rising. Dying to what? Let me read this to you. This was in my devotion, one of my devotions I read this last week. And he said it well. Dying to trivial comforts and soul-shrinking conveniences. Oh, I just have to have them. Dying to arrogant preferences and self-centered entitlements and living for something much larger than what makes you comfortable, living for God. I think it might have surprised you, um, probably surprised Pastor Patterson and and, uh, Pastor Dan if he was here who put this series together about the approach for exclusivity today. Um, and actually, honestly, when I first approached the sermon, I was planning to, to, to speak very convincingly about the importance of exclusivity. Uh, Pastor Patterson talked about that through the service today, and we sang about it, how key Jesus as our only Savior is. And, and as I studied the text and, and looked at Thomas and the words of Jesus, it just, it came to me that what's What became more important than making sure we all understand the importance of Jesus as the only Savior, what became more important than providing you a framework or talking points to respond to people who say, do you mean to tell me Christianity is the only true religion? I haven't done that today, but yet I have. Because what's important is that we approach this devotionally, not just intellectually, but devotionally, and that begins in our own hearts. So, here's my encouragement for how we respond to others and how we make this known. When you don't desperately need things to happen your way, because Jesus is your way, others will turn to Him as their only way. When you don't have to insist on your own opinion and be enamored about what you think because Jesus is your truth, other people will see Jesus as the truth and they'll turn to Him as their only truth too. And when your home and your heart and your Facebook feed is filled up with a life that witnesses to people that you are different, that you believe in Jesus and they see Jesus in you because Jesus is your life, (laughs) they will turn to Jesus as their only life too. So that's your answer to others who ask about the exclusivity of Jesus. Is he really the only way? By him being your way and your truth and your life, you are showing and telling and witnessing to people how truly Jesus is the only way. And when they see that in you, maybe, just maybe, when it comes to the exclusivity of Jesus, they may not even need to ask because they believe in him too. That is our prayer in our mission. Amen.